This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Liverpool and City serve up a treat at Anfield and ultimately just getting it launched is the way to do it. Cancelo's mistake, Salah's beautiful turn and a big win for Jurgen Klopp. Did Pep overthink it? Is Haaland a flat track bully? Should Gomez be the England captain? And what can we do about managers embarrassing themselves, barking in the face of officials? Is apologising afterwards enough? Elsewhere, Arsenal are four points clear after a slightly fortunate win at Leeds. Feels about the right time to stop every single person you see and ask if now is the time to take the Gunners seriously. Also today, Aston Villa put goals on a plate for Mason Mount. Harry Kane and engineering contact. And as Rashford misses a last-minute header, does that mean Ivan Penalty Tony is even further inside the plane than he was last week? We'll round up the rest of the Premier League and ask just how hot does it get in Leicester in mid-October? All that plus do goals really need to be the same size? Your questions and that's today. Guardian Football Weekly. Eddie says, forget talk of the best Football Weekly lineup. Surely this is the most perfectly balanced. The playmaker, Jonathan Wilson. Hello. What? Am I a playmaker? I, I thought I'd... I, I always saw myself... As, and forget the pun, there's the Macam Laley, the, the, the hard-working graft of the back of midfield. Yeah, I think so. Um, I would take playmaker. It's you know, oh, I'm not knocking there are it. many playmakers in the squad. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, if you don't, if you know, basically you are the tactics, Matt. You really just, yeah, you're just a water carrier. You're the Danny Drinkwater <laughs> of the pods. Uh, the energy, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Hello, Jordan. Oh, I love that. Good morning, mate. The workhorse, Barry Glendenning. Hello. Yes, first on the training ground up at five thirty this morning. <laughs> I'll be last to log off the Zoom call. <laughs> then I'll go and practice some free kicks. Good. Uh, one for the students of the football podcast genre to enjoy. Let's start then at Anfield. Liverpool 1, Manchester City nil. Richard saying, having lost to a team playing 4-4-2, who scored by their keeper getting it launched, when will Pep adapt to English football? I mean, the decisive moment, the goal, Barry, it is fascinating that between these two teams, it is a long ball <laughs> and... A bit of a mistake and a beautiful bit of skill at the same time. Yeah, uh, that's the way to beat City. We finally figured it out. Dirty long ball up the middle. Uh, hope for a mistake for the defender and hope that Mo Salah p- pulls off a wonderful, I suppose it's a pirouette, was it? Uh, to turn and, and go through on goal. It was his second attempt uh, of that nature. Interesting, by the way, or not, as the case may be. Uh, Alisson has one goal and three assists to his name in the Premier League and the three assists have all been for Mo Salah. And I think we saw yesterday that uh, and in midweek against uh, Rangers who possibly aren't as good as Manchester City that uh, a Salah in, on form uh, makes all the difference to, to Liverpool. But um, I must confess when I saw the lineups for this game and I saw that James Milner was playing right back for Liverpool I, I feared for them and I, I owe James a huge apology because he was absolutely outstanding, as was Joe Gomez, as was Harvey Elliott. 
as was uh, Mo Salah, among others. And um, thoroughly entertaining game, uh, quite chaotic. And weirdly, even though Manchester City lost, I'm still pretty sure they'll win the league at a canter, despite Arsenal's win over Leeds, sending them whatever it is, five is it five points clear now? Four. 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 Um, yeah, but terrific game of football. And, and really narky and tetchy and niggly as well which is quite nice mm, those Allison stats sound about as good as Bruno Fernandes recent form don't they with, with goals and assists um, uh, uh, Salah did have a brilliant game didn't he Jordan he was great he was great and I, he seems to love this fixture and I think Liverpool love this fixture as well this um, th- the game was actually quite low on quality I thought overall this game normally is quite high on quality I thought there were a lot of errors a lot of ball giving away um, the better players on the pitch, definitely for City, I don't think had amazing games. Um, I thought Cancelo was really poor and it took me a while to work out why. I think it was because he was playing as a right back and I know that he's not, his role has kind of been developed and evolved into in an inverted right back, but I thought he had a really, really poor game. As an Arsenal fan, I was watching thinking, who do I want to win this game? Do I want to draw? Do I want Liverpool back in the race for top four? Or do I want City to drop points and become in the title? So I kind of had my my um, my Arsenal hat on watching watching the match. But I think from Liverpool's perspective as well, the right-back Milner, if we needed illustrating, reminding, reminded us all the strengths and weaknesses of Trent Alexander-Arnold because he offered nothing going forward for me, Milner, but yet defensively was very, very solid. Um so I, th- I thought, you know, that kind of just, you know, brought up another, another, another kind of question about whether how you can develop Alexander Arnold and whether he can become better defensively. But I thought overall it was a really exciting game, if if not high high in quality. Milner did have that one break down the right, that cross that just evaded Jota, didn't he? To give him his credit, he did. He bombed forward once. Did I saw Danny Murphy sort of picking this apart on match of the day, Wilson, and sort of saying Manchester City set up differently defensively, uh, sort of leading to did Pep overthink taking on the team that were 11th in the Premier League? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I suspect Pep makes a lot of changes we don't notice because it doesn't, when it doesn't go wrong. But when it does go wrong, then you sort of think, well, they've just been playing 4-3-3 and battering everybody all season. What, what's he fiddling about with? I think the, the reason must be that um, he's very conscious of the way you can get at a city is to... You know, to get in behind the defensive line, to get to get get runners breaking through, and you sort of even you know I think back to that game uh, when Liverpool won the title, the game when City lost to Chelsea to hand them a title, and again and again they, they just got picked off with simple balls over the top. When it goes wrong in the Champions League, even against teams like Lyon, that tends to be how it goes wrong. And you look at what Liverpool's strength is, and it's precisely that sort of running behind your defensive line, quick transitions. So I I, I get why he felt a need. To, to sort of shore up their defences against that. And I think that vulnerability has potentially been heightened by, by Holland because Holland needs the ball to be played forward quickly. So they're not having time to sort of set themselves in midfield to counter the counter. I assume that's why he did it and, and, and went to what was effectively a, a sort of three at the back with, with Cancelo pushing up quite high from right back, Foden playing slightly deeper on the left as a sort of left winger come, come wing back. But what actually happened was they were still really open to that ball over the top. Cancelo had by far his worst game of the season. And Foden, who'd absolutely destroyed Milner last season, 
probably wasn't quite close enough to do do the same thing again. And he sort of fell into Harvey Elliott's orbit. So Harvey Elliott was able to sort of bear the brunt of that. And so it wasn't just the goal that was that sort of move, that, that ball in behind the defence. There was a chance Salah had before that. And then there's those two... <laughs> Darwin Nunez, whatever was going on in that last 10 minutes. <laughs> Although I should say, and this is something Ken Early pointed out to me, Darwin Nunez did fail spectacularly and very noisily so that everybody saw him with those two breaks. But in the time he was on the pitch, Erling Haaland touched the ball three times, one of which was the kickoff after the goal, one of which was a defensive header, and one of which was a disappointing header over the bar. Both the big centre-forwards failed in that 15-minute period. Just Haaland failed much more quietly than, than Nunez failed. Actually, it's interesting with Haaland, and, and obviously him not scoring makes people say, look, Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk defended him brilliantly, Barry, and they did. But he did have a... He sort of had chances that he scored this season. He had a header. He had that one sort of from just inside the box where, you know, he was basically as open as he's been in other games. He just didn't score. Yeah, well, he had six shots. I think he had four on target. You would imagine on any other day he would have got one or two of those goals on target. I I seem to think... Someone made the point recently that his very presence, even if he doesn't score, just, you know defenders think too much about where he is and it creates space for other people and I watching the game yesterday and highlights again this morning I that didn't seem to be the case with Liverpool they they treated him like a normal striker you know <laughs> not not some superhuman striker and and maybe that uh worked against city but yeah he he did have chances but they weren't brilliant chances, but chances you would expect him to score, if not some other commoner garden elite striker. <laughs> Jordan? Watching the game, it felt for me for the first time this season that Manchester City were trying to get him in. They were trying to play to him, whereas before it looks like they're, they're playing their game and he's just the person that finishing off the chances. It, it looked like they were trying really hard to, to supply him. And I, and I wonder if that... Um, had an effect on 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 his on his game yesterday. It was very obvious that they were trying to put him in, whereas before it looks a little bit more I don't know a bit more natural and organic. I also thought Kev- Kevin De Bruyne had a quiet game, and if if you can keep him quiet, then by extension, Haaland is probably not going to be as dangerous as usual. James says, does how the referee decides to referee the game have an influence on VAR, and should it? This is the idea, Wilson, that Anthony Taylor let the game flow. And we all want the game to flow because it makes for a better game. He didn't penalise little fouls, even if by the letter of the law they were fouls. And then we have this little foul or a shirt pull in the build-up to Foden's disallowed goal. And he disallowed that, which seems to me the correct decision. Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things there. So one is this isn't Anthony Taylor's decision. This is the Premier League's decision. And Anthony Taylor is enacting the guidelines given him by the Premier League, which is to allow a little bit more physical contact. The second thing is that that basically means not penalising little shoulder-to-shoulder touches, little pushes, players grappling for the ball. Pulling somebody's shirt isn't that. Pulling somebody's shirt is a foul. There's no way you can pull somebody's shirt and legitimately win the ball. So as soon as, as, soon as you're seen pulling the shirt, it's an offence. Um, and pulling the shirt is something that can be seen very easily on video. It's not subjective. You, you saw, very, I mean, it doesn't matter if Fabinho was already going down. It doesn't matter if 
Anthony Taylor's view initially was blocked. It doesn't matter if it takes the seventh replay to, to find the angle that shows it clearly. Haaland clearly grabbed Fabinho's shirt and gave him a bit of a tug. That That is a foul. Uh, it's also just the nature of VAR is there is a stricter liability. You know, de facto, there's a stricter liability in the build-up to goals than there is in open play because you don't check everything in open play. But in a build-up to, to goals, yeah, you get penalised for things you might get away with if a goal doesn't result. So it was it was just obviously the right decision. It would have been an absolute scandal if that had not been given. Which makes which makes sorry, Wilson, which makes Pep Guardiola's behaviour, and we'll get on to Klopp's, just really frustrating, not just at the time, but afterwards going, oh, this is Anfield. You know, it's just sort of pathetic. I mean, that's your word, and uh, I'd encourage people not to attack me on social media for the use of the word pathetic. But it's, okay. but it's it's disappointing and kind of productive and... and, and He's just wrong, and and yeah, you know, we're now led to believe that even had that been permitted, the challenge on Allison would have been penalised. Now, to be honest, I've I've only seen sort of three or four replays of that. I'm not sure to what extent Allison had the ball under control. I can see why yeah, you, you might think that be might might be dangerous, but like, I, I don't. I haven't really seen it enough to form a firm judgment. But all this idea that this is sort of you know, it's, it's it's like the end of it's like Jack Nicholson at the end of Chinatown. Oh, it's, it's Anfield. There's nothing you can do about it. It's it's, you know, it's Anfield. It's this lawless zone where you, you're never going to win. Well, let's not forget that the ball only comes to to to, to be in that challenge between Fabinho and Holland from a goal kick, which should have been a corner. There's been a mistake even to give City the goal kick, which leads to what is definitely a foul that the referee then misses because he's on the blind side that Varden picks up. So the idea there's some monstrous conspiracy that, that a man sitting in an office in Stockley Park, you know, what, 250 miles from Anfield, is, is affected by the, by, by the crowd at Anfield. It's just, it's just nonsense. And I, I, I don't know, I, I felt, and I don't know if, if this is reading too much into it, and it may be, but I wonder if Klopp's comments about the impossibility of competing with nation states, the first time maybe any sort of major managers really laid that out, whether his comments on Friday rattled Guardiola a bit, not just not not necessarily in, in in some kind of sense of a pang of conscience that, oh, hang on, who who are these people who are funding my great project, but the sense he's kind of playing the Premier League in a slightly easier mode than Klopp. Whether that just sort of niggled him slightly, and then that that initial handshake and the worst form of journalism among many bad forms of journalism is analysing handshakes, <laughs> but that was quite a frosty <laughs> handshake before yeah. kickoff. And his whole yeah. touchline demeanour was was of a man expecting a slight. And look, clearly, it, you know, if coins were thrown at him, that is disgraceful. And whoever threw the coins, they should be um, identified and prosecuted for it. That that's a slightly different issue. But his be- touchline behaviour, sort of, you waving at the crowd, doing that odd sort of gesture. I mean, quite apart from the the, the sort of uh, public order ramifications, potential ramifications. Does that help Manchester City win that game of football? No. If anything, it does the exact opposite. So, I, yeah, I thought, you know, this has been a rivalry that, that has not really been characterised by all the nonsense of mind games. And this is the second lowest form of journalism, is talking about press conferences and mind games. But it, <laughs> this rivalry hasn't had that largely. And I, I do wonder if, perhaps not even deliberately, whether Klopp did get under his skin with those comments on Friday. And that sort of. Maybe even led to Guardiola's overthinking, if it was overthinking, of a sort of sense, oh, I've got to prove myself, because just putting out all these really expensive, very good players isn't enough. I've got to prove it to me. 
Good for you, Wilson, on getting through every lowest form of journalism <laughs> in one answer, <laughs> one 15-minute answer. That's The third lowest form is, yeah. is spending 15 minutes to answer quite a basic question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like Klopp also, Barry, was pathetic. And like it, it is, you know, on the weekend where the Merseyside Youth Football League has cancelled all games because of to raise the awareness about abuse of officials and the FA are trialling body cams. For him to just sort of bark in the face of that assistant referee, regardless of whether it was a foul or not, it's just embarrassing and it does have an impact, you know? And lots, some people will go, oh, it's just high passion in the game and it happens. But it just looks so shit. Well, it is high passion in the game and it does happen, but it shouldn't happen. And it's not a good look uh, to be seen right up in a linesman or fourth official's grill snarling um, we know Jurgen Klopp has it in him and he he got a red card he deserved it and he said after the game in that moment I snapped so that is my fault but you know I get that but it, it isn't a good look and presumably he will get a touchline ban and and it's one he deserves yeah do you think Wilson I sort of think football has just lost dissent has just been lost and I just don't it sort of feels like that forever for the whole time I've been watching that it's just kind of that's how it happens it doesn't happen in other sports and whenever you try and compare them people say oh they're just different and you you know you you can't compare rugby and cricket and other sports and you know NFL and whatever but it does seem that, that football just doesn't have the dissent law just doesn't exist you know yeah and uh, you know the in the same way, the Premier League can change its guidelines on on uh, how much physical contact is is to be permitted. I, I don't see any reason why the Premier League or UEFA or FIFA can't, from the beginning of next season, say, look, any. I, I, I don't. I don't think we want a situation where uh, a player sort of walking backwards from the situation, sort of throwing his arms up, kind of going, "Oh, come on," and, and maybe adding a couple of expletives. I, I don't think that should be penalised. But I think as soon as you make an aggressive move towards a referee. That immediately should be a booking. Uh, anything that, that vaguely sort of is intimidatory or slows the game down, I, I, I just don't understand why you, you can't enforce that. Man City, some Manfred City fans, some hideous things uh, at the Liverpool fans, uh, which is pretty disappointing. Um, every club has a selection of idiots. It doesn't excuse it, and it's really annoying. Um, uh, on to the two o'clock kickoffs. Um, uh, Leeds nil, Arsenal one. Uh, Bakayo says, what's the longest the pod's been delayed due to a power cut? Um, look, Arsenal, four points clear um, after 10 games. The next four games are Southampton, Forest, Chelsea and Wolves. Kieran says, what's the first thing Jordan's going to do when Arsenal win the league? That's a very good question. I'm going to present match of the day or the talk sports show naked as, as Gary Lineker could do in Leicester. I think you have to get the match of the day gig first before you... <laughs> they're not going to let a man in his pants. They're just not going to let him in, are you? That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, this was a really bizarre game, but and one that, you know, it was a, it was a huge win, win for Arsenal, especially when you think that City dropped points a couple of hours later. But... The thing that's really annoying me, and I've heard Arsenal and non-Arsenal fans say this overnight and pundits and have watched, read some of the papers online today, it was a lucky win. I'm like, how was it a lucky win? The, the VAR decisions that were enforced were the correct ones. Yep, Leeds were probably more dominant in the second half than Arsenal, but they didn't pepper the Arsenal goal. I don't understand why everyone's kind of saying it was a lucky win. I mean, they did miss a, they did miss a penalty out, and had lots of chances. Well, that's not... That's, that's, 
Well, that's that's their problem. That's not Arsenal's problem. They had a chance to score, and and they didn't. Luck is shooting from thirty-five yards and getting two deflections and going in. Luck is the referee getting a wrong decision. Sorry, a, a wrong decision that goes in our favour. No, no. That's luck. No, but luck, luck is, is in... coming up against a team who have chances and don't put them away when they could. That is also lucky, right? You, you dug it out. You played well, but Leeds did play really well in this game. I, uh, Barry, you had your hand up. Well, I, I'm just curious to know. I, I'm at a loss to know why the Bamford goal was ruled out. And now maybe it, it was a valid reason, but I'm on his Gabri- Bamford on Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. I think right, so. I, I yeah. didn't clock that. Yeah, I mean, but if there is an angle that shows up properly, look, Bamford's arm goes up, but you, there's the, the angle that, that they showed on Match of the Day did not show him pushing him. Now, maybe there is an angle that shows it, but for some reason we haven't been given access to that. Yeah, well, Dan does say, are VAR's recent interventions in favour of Arsenal evidence of a wide refereeing conspiracy by the PGMOL to deliberately undermine the claims by Arsenal fans (laughs) of a wide refereeing conspiracy against Arsenal? Oh, okay. look, well, look, we'll we'll go back to the goal, which Saka took brilliantly. I mean, it was a wonderful crossfield ball from Rodrigo, but Saka does finish it brilliantly, doesn't he? He he does, yeah. He's um, he's, he's, he had a, a bit of criticism from the Arsenal fan base earlier this season because he wasn't playing as well as he was last year. And I, I don't agree with that as well. I think he was playing just as well. The only difference now is that it's other players that are chipping in with goals and playing well from an offensive point of view as well. I thought that strike was really, really good. I call it a Batistuta strike. Just really hard, top of the goal, top of back of the net um, from a, 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 an angle that seems to be quite impossible. Um, he's, been, he's been brilliant. I think he's now in a position whereby for England... I don't see how he cannot start at, at, at the World Cup this this summer. Um, I, I think he's been brilliant. I think Arsenal are now etching themselves into a position whereby if they don't get fourth minimum now, that will be a huge implosion. They, they can't almost not get fourth now. Um, and the next few fixtures you read out there, Max, you know, I don't like using the phrase, you know, they're definite wins, but they're, they're, they're games that you'd think... Arsenal are going to struggle to lose those games. So if they can go to the World Cup with a nice cushion at the top of the, at the, top of the league, they will be um, etching towards guaranteeing top four spot um, in, in the league this season. I find it interesting, Jordan, that the vibe you're giving is it's all about top four finish rather than winning. Yep. And, and a lot of my friends are saying I'm being a bit of a wimp by not saying I should be. we should go for the league because... A, PTSD. I've been burned before, Max, um, <laughs> Barry. So th- th- there's an element of that. But also, I just didn't need to stick to the plan. The, the big annoyance for me last year was that the plan was always top four. And then when we didn't get top four, people were kind of saying, oh, we should have done a whole lot more, rare, rare, rare. I'm saying this year, the plan is top four. Let's secure top four as soon as possible. And then from that, that point, if we can get third or second, great. I, I, I'm, I'm just being a bit too sensible maybe but for me it's still let's secure top four ASAP and then see if we can get as close to City who I think will win the league as, as possible do you think I'm being a bit of a wimp Barry why not well through? I mean you're four points clear you're playing as well as you have in years since you know peak Wenger probably and yeah just settling for four seems a bit mm. And yet, at the same time, you've just described an away game at Chelsea as very winnable. <laughs> the sort of game we should win. Well, yeah, I reckon that Chelsea is really good, actually. So that's a game where, I, right. you know, I would, in our current form, I would expect to draw at least there. Do you know what I mean? Oh, he's backing down already. 
<laughs> he'll take fifth yeah. by the end of the pod he'll take eight yeah. won't he um, um how do you assess arsenal wilson they've they've been excellent i think it's just a real shame for well a shame for arsenal and a shame for for me and and general sort of neutral watchers that the game against city on wednesday's um been postponed that they're playing PSV because of yeah yeah so the game against yeah, PSV was postponed because of the Queen is that yeah, right? right yes yeah. I think so, so they yeah. have to play that PSV game so we don't have I mean it would have been good wouldn't it a confident Arsenal against yeah. a, a a Pep who's starting to fray that would have been I mean can, can you not just just, just just give PSV the points let us watch that but for the for the neutral it's really disappointing I'm sure but for Arsenal it's a massive help that that fixture has now been kicked down the roads. No, no, no. Now you're in form and they're, they're starting to, to question it. Now's the time to play them. Oh, maybe my, wimp, maybe my wimp side's yeah. coming out, Wilson. Yeah, I want to bank as many points as you possible do, before we play yeah. them. You do have to play them at some point, I, I think, Jordan. Uh, it is worth mentioning, Barry, that the last minute incident where Bamford and Gabriel just had a sort of hilarious pushing, kicking, falling over, red card, penalty overturned. I mean, it must have been very frustrating as a Leeds fan, but I think probably the right, probably the right result in that one. Yeah, um, the, the Lord gave it to Leeds, and then the Lord took it away. Um, it was a peculiar incident, and I suppose well, it's a good job that they did get VAR working in there, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Even if it took forty minutes, I I'm not sure how that affected travelling Arsenal fans. Were they able to get home? I don't know, but just shows how beholden the game has become to video assistant refereeing and it was needed in that game on several occasions. It was. Right, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin at Villa Park. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Aston Villa nil, Chelsea 2. I presume then, Jordan... Chelsea weren't lucky in this game, even though Tyrone Ming's 50p head and Emmy Martinez just jumping out the way of a football basically gave Chelsea two goals in a game that otherwise Villa dominated. Listen, I, I actually thought, and I thought Villa were a bit unlucky in this game. I thought Villa played played, played quite well um, for large parts of this match um, and, and gave Chelsea a, a good run for their money. I, my, my thoughts on Steven Gerrard, Max, are, uh, as they have always been, I've always had this fear and concern that he's the sort of manager that, you want in the dressing room at half time when you're two one down or one nil down to give a rousing tub thumping. Um, and I maybe I'm being a little unfair here, but this is kind of the impression I get a tub thumping speech to kind of get you back out there, pumped up, fired up and you win the game. You know, you turn it around from one nil down to two one winners. I've always had concerns about how tactically astute and tactically um, intelligent he is. And I, I think over the course of the season this year, that's kind of coming to, 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 to fruition in terms of what I think about him as a manager. And this was another game where I'm still not quite sure what a Steven Gerrard Aston Villa team is. What are they, Wilson? Well, I mean, he plays that 4-3-2-1, that which he played a lot at Rangers as well. 
and I think I think that last those last few couple of months at Rangers, you start to see it that it does mean you lack a bit of width, and it does I think make you a bit predictable. And you're very reliant on a player like Coutinho or, or Buendia to do something brilliant to to unlock opponents. So I I, I, mean, I think that's their problem that they're they're just a bit a bit obvious going forward, and, and Premier League teams have sort of worked them out. Now, having said that, they had plenty of chances against Chelsea and. Kepa made two or three absolutely outstanding saves, so they easily could have won that game. Um, and then there's you have a whole Ming situation that Gerard seemed to want him out, and now he's he's because of the injury to um, Carlos. Carlos, yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I I can see how that error for the first goal happened. That the ball was spinning, and yeah, you don't have to get that. It's it, it's a fractional mistake. And and because of a spin on the ball, it, and then of course because things are going wrong for him, it goes straight to the straight to Mount, and and, and it, it's an easy goal. And then the free kick, I does it does it take a deflection or not? I still haven't worked it out. I don't know. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. So I think so. I think Martinez moves his body, and the ball dips quite yeah. a lot. But it does look it does look really ridiculous. Yeah, I, mean, I, I sort of I only saw it I don't know two or three times and. The first time I thought oh, it must be a deflection. The second time I thought, oh, there's no deflection. The third time I thought, actually, the way it's gone over the wall, there's something quite odd about that trajectory. But that trajectory still doesn't explain what Martinez is doing. So uh, it was one of one of Villa's better performances this season. But I think they're one of those teams who probably are better against better sides. And you know, in the same way that they, they held City to a draw, the, the nature of that very narrow formation is they're quite good at restricting opponents, but they just... They just lack a bit of spark themselves, and a little. Bit. I mean, that's, are they the second lowest scores in the division after Wolves? I think. Yeah, and we can't count Wolves really. Can yeah, we? well, it's that whole sort yeah, of with goal with goal scoring. I mean, it's it's, it's that whole actually Neil's Midlands t- goal drought, isn't it? It's kind of uh, yeah. the problem is all, all the goals in the Midlands have gone to the East Midlands to Leicester. Uh, I know they're wasting that as well, and the West Midlands is 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 struggling desperately. That's why we need redistribution of goals across the Midlands. Interesting. I was listening to Neil Taylor, former Villa fullback, saying. And when you say the lack of width, and I think I've said this before, but Villa Park is massive. Like as pitches go, it's really big. So width is really quite important on a really big pitch. And perhaps Stephen Gerrard should realise that the pitch that he plays most his games on is big. Um, you mentioned it as well, Wilson, but Barry, Kepper, Kepper was just ridiculous in this game, some of these saves. Yeah, I mean, it, I think this was as good as I've seen Villa play this season. And yet this pod has the air about it of one where we might finish recording and then discover that either or both of Steven Gerrard and uh, Jesse Marsh have been sacked and you have to do a voice note when... <laughs> God, Brendan Rodgers has got lucky there, Bats. <laughs> I forgot about him. Um, but yeah, and, and fair play to Kepa because he, he was a bit of a laughing stock. He, he came in with this massive prize tag. Didn't, it wasn't working out for him. They couldn't get rid of him because he was was too expensive, but he has come in, uh, displaced Edward Mendy now, and Mendy's going to have a job getting back in the side because he he wasn't playing particularly well. He he did get injured, did he? Before he was dropped, he wasn't just dropped, but um, yeah, uh, Kepa was outside. He made some astonishing, well, one astonishing save yesterday or two, and. Um, yeah, fair dues. And he has incredibly 
quite a deep voice, but he has really profound eyebrows. In in about fifty years, he could look a little bit like Norman Lamont. That's, that's you know something to look out for um, if you're really playing the long game with this podcast. Um, let's go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Spurs two, Everton nil. Um, Spurs have 23 points from 10 games, same as Man City, their highest tally at this stage of a Premier League season. Um, the, the enforced change of shape, Wilson, really helped them, didn't it? When Richarlison got injured and we hope he's okay for the World Cup and Basuma came on, it really helped. Yeah, I mean, I, I think generally there's been a sense that when, when Spurs play that front three, they're a little bit short in midfield. And I think that, that sort of 3 4 3 formation that, that Conte has favoured, not just at Spurs, but I, I think that is the, the danger of that formation. Um, I think particularly the game at Arsenal, there was a sense of Spurs. Were, I know, I know the, the 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 intention then was to sit deep and strike on the break, but they sort of were probably forced more into the back foot than they'd they'd wanted to be in that game. So, so yeah, they the the extra midfielder. I mean, I, I thought they were on top from the start, to be honest. But yeah, it, it did it did give them a, a greater sort of uh, incision when they got the extra midfield and they were able to control it a bit more through there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they did control it. Everton did have two good chances in the first half, which uh, Frank Lampard uh, was pretty disappointed about. Andrew says, are we all going to pretend Kane didn't die for the penalty because he's the England captain? I, I think he may have gamed the system there, but I thought it was absolutely a penalty. And I thought Jordan Pickford was quite lucky not to get a red card because he made no attempt whatsoever to play the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a penalty and also a dive if you're allowed to have those. Or not a dive, but like his body starts to crumple. But, you know, Pickford certainly <laughs> gave him, you know, gave him the opportunity by spilling the ball in the first place, uh, didn't he? Uh, Man United nil, Newcastle nil. Uh, is there anything uh, more satisfying than a Ronaldo tantrum? Nathan says, what does the panel think was the most difficult task for Ronaldo to perform on Sunday evening while still shaking his head, driving his car home, getting his dinner fork to his mouth or brushing his teeth? To be fair, well, though... Brushing Wilson, your teeth, it would help. He, yeah, that's true, I suppose. If you, just, you could just keep the hand yeah. still, couldn't you? I mean, he probably wasn't would have scored that chance that Rashford missed in the last minute. Uh, probably, but I mean... Yeah, the, the argument last season was always, ah, oh, yeah, but he, he scores your goals. Even if he doesn't actually move anymore, even if he doesn't do any pressing, he scores your goals. And he got, what, 18 in the Premier League last season, was it? Ah, now he just looks like an old man. Every now and again, you see a flicker of, of what he once was, but he's sort of, he's a really sort of lumbering presence now. This isn't the first time we've we've seen it this season. These, and you sort of think, oh, well, maybe he just lacks a bit of game time. He needs, just needs to, you know, his sharpness will come. But I think maybe, maybe this is the end for him. It is a shame Rashford didn't score that header, um, Barry, mainly because the Casemiro cross was so Modric-inspired. We could have talked about it for hours. <laughs> but because the, the goal didn't go in, we can't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, well, you can. It was still a good cross. But I, I, I think it's a shame on a number. I think this game needed one or other side to win. You know, so if, if Rashford had scored that header, United would have won and it would have been a a slap down for this emerging evil empire who'd just been beaten by the impoverished church mice of Manchester United. Or uh, if, you know, say Callum Wilson had got the penalty when he was fouled by Varane and uh, the penalty he should have got but didn't. I know there were other uh, dubious penalty decisions, but and Newcastle had won, then it would have been, you know, a statement win for the emerging evil empire against the 
former evil empire that was Manchester United. <laughs> but so yeah, I was hoping for a winner of this game, one way or the other, and to see it just finish as a nil-nil draw was a bit disappointing. Who finishes higher, do we think, out of United, the two Uniteds? I mean, I'd probably say Manchester United, and they've got a better squad. They've got a deeper squad. Ten Hag should get things moving. He'll work out who fits where Casemiro will pick up. It obviously depends what happens in January, doesn't it, with, with, with Newcastle. But I, would, I wouldn't put my house on um, Manchester United finishing higher than Newcastle. And my wife would be very confused as to why we were selling the house. <laughs> That was the that, that was the case, <laughs> but but uh, that that would be my thought. I don't know, Wilson, if you have any advances on that. Yeah, I, I think it's probably still uh, there's still the potential for Manchester United to c- collapse completely. I don't think they will, but it's 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 not totally impossible, and it's still probably one season too early for Newcastle. So I I think Manchester United are probably going to finish fourth or fifth, and I think Newcastle probably finish sixth or seventh. It was a good moment where Joe Linton became 2019 Joe Linton again with those two headers that just sort of hit the woodwork. You just sort of thought thought back to glory, his glory days. Um, it's worth chatting a bit about Kieran Trippier, given the injuries to to Reese James, who he's tweeted that you know never give up or words to that effect, but but may well be out of the World Cup. Kyle Walker is back from injury and is coming back from injury, but a lot of rehab to do. He may not make it as well. So you know, after the glut of right backs. Uh, we now have no right backs, um, <laughs> and you sort of think Kieran Tripp would pretty much a shoe in then Wilson. Yeah, he should be, and and um, I mean it's good that England have three. I mean four if you include Alexander Arnold, uh, who obviously came for bench late on yesterday. But yeah, Trippy is dead ball delivery. I think is a is a key asset. So it's it's I think Reese James is is arguably at the minute on form England's best footballer. So to lose him is a is a terrible blow, and I don't I don't see any sense in taking a half fit player to to a major tournament. It has not worked in England's favour in the past. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the the only good news is that it would allow me to dust off previous pieces about why England should never take half fit players. <laughs> Pontifications on why Kevin Keegan should never have gone to Spain in 1982. If Trippier becomes the first choice right wing back. Um, you've also got to look at who's going to play on the right of the back three. And Joe Gomez, thankfully, suddenly looks like a proper footballer again, and he could do that. Uh, or, or Ben White, I guess, is the other the other option to, to fill in there. It, and because we don't, I mean, I don't know how bad John Stone's injury is, whether he's going to be fit again. Um, but at, at least there are there are candidates in those positions where, you know, Harry Kane gets injured. The, the I mean, Ivan Tony is clearly a good player, but he he has nothing like the same depth of experience. He has nothing like it. But why don't we talk about Ivan Tony uh, to finish part two? Brentford beat Brighton two nil. He makes penalties beautiful, Jordan, doesn't he? He does. He does. Um, he, he, you know, cliche makes them look very, very, very easy. And I've heard a lot of people saying that he should be going to the World Cup with England just on penalties alone, which I think is a little bit of a stretch. I, I, I don't don't endorse that. Um, I'm a big fan of Ivan Tony. I wanted him at Arsenal. I, I wanted us to sign this summer. If we let, you know, if we were to let Eddie and Ketia go, which we, which we didn't, I think he's a really underrated striker that I think could go to a level above Brentford. And I think the way he plays, I don't think he's world class or you know amazing, but I think he's very good at everything. He's strong. His hold up play is good. His inside the box finishing is good. Outside the box, I think his link up play is good. In the air, he's a threat. 
I think he's got a bit of skill and, and, and a trick in him as well. And I'd, I, I'd be surprised if Brentford keep hold of him um, next time. And I think in this game, I, th- I thought he um, he terrorised Brighton. I don't think Brighton could handle him. And he was everything that I think on the opposite um, side of the of the fence in terms of their squad. Danny Welbeck, I think, was supposed to be. Um, didn't quite live up to the player that I think he was going to be. But um, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. And I thought he, he, he he's, he's knocking on the door hard now for... Southgate to, to pick him and take him on the plane. Although to be to be fair to Welbeck, I think he's been brilliant for, for Brighton and has sort of kind of had a bit of a renaissance. Um, but but you know Tony also t- Tony has that mentality. The thing about the penalties, Wilson is well, Welbeck had loads of injuries as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah that is true. Um, but the the thing about the penalties with Tony is it's just not looking at the ball at all. I can't think of that many players who who have done that. And I'm maybe putting you on the spot and you could just tell me about a Hungarian from the 30s. But like anybody who's played to any terrible level knows a real key part of kicking the ball is to be looking well, at it. Well, so let, let, let me tell you about it. blind Gula Kovac. The, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Tony explained it after the game. He sort of made the point, the ball doesn't move, the goal doesn't move. So you don't need to look at... You, well, you don't, so you just need to look at the goalkeeper. This is true, but why? And you know this, Barry, because you, you, you're having golf lessons. They tell you to look at the ball all the time, not to lift your head and, and watch where it's gone down the fairway, but to keep your head down looking at the ball. A golf ball doesn't move. It sits on a tee or on the fairway. So if if it's the right thing to do in golf to keep looking at the ball, why is it not the right thing to do with a penalty? I suppose in golf, you're not trying to put the ball past the goalkeeper, but... I'm I'm quite early into my um, something for live to look into my though. golf career. <laughs> I mean, I played a bit as a kid, but um, it's all about the technique. So, ideally, you would pretend the ball isn't there. See, so it's all about the swing and the technique. Uh, but are you not meant to be watching the ball the whole time? Well, yes. Yes. But, well, you're. But say, even if you're taking a practice swing, you you watch where the ball isn't <laughs> but it's all about the swing the technique who's teaching you golf Barry <laughs> how often how long into the round do you pretend the ball do you pretend the ball isn't there for the whole round well the thing is <laughs> it's a lot easier when the ball isn't there but you know you're doing your practice swings whatever and then on the range and then someone puts this white thing down on a tee and it's like you're you have a mental disintegration <laughs> Anyway, it's a great skill for, for Ivan Tony. Brighton's still looking for their first win under De Zerbi. And, I, you know, you they're playing nice football. They've played well in, in, in the games that, that oh. he's been in charge. To had a lot of the ball, played nice stuff. It's, it's just textbook Brighton, but he, he looks so disappointed afterwards. I think that was when the penny dropped. Oh, God, I'm managing Brighton and they just cannot bloody score. <laughs> I mean, they got three goals in his first game in charge that presumably... Um, got his hopes up but they've completely reverted to type and I, I actually thought they were the better team in this game but again mm. failings in front of goal uh, have, have cost them it's a big problem yeah and it, I mean it's not really his is it his fault like Solly March had such a, a straightforward header that he asked for it in the corner that's not Deserby's fault is it you know it's a bit like Stephen Gerrard it's not really it's not really his fault if, if I mean, if Tyron Mings heads it the wrong way, is it? I mean, there is only so much the manager can do. <laughs> right. um, anyway, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll do the rest of the Premier League games. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Fulham 2, Bournemouth 2. Uh, this was an excellent game. Bournemouth 
I think Wilson Bournemouth should should be slightly disappointed they didn't get all three points in this game. Yeah, probably. I mean, they they the the the, the change in 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 that club since Scott Parker left has been incredible. And, and I know this 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 sometimes. I mean, it certainly has happened to Southampton that you get beat nine nil. It even happened to the Crystal Palace in um, nineteen ninety. When was it? Eighty nine, ninety. That it's almost like a, a battering like that is a is a reset button, and you sort of. I mean, clearly you could just collapse, but I, I think for for a lot of teams, it, it, it's sort of you go back to basics and you go back to doing the simple things. Well, I mean, and obviously in this case they they did brought in a new manager, um, and. I think that's that's what Bournemouth are, are doing, and, and and yeah, to to ha- to have the lead like that, and then to chuck it away, uh, that that has not been the way that they've played under Gary O'Neill. So, I mean, like, draw was not a scandalous result, uh, but yeah, they, they they probably will be annoyed, and and yeah, they've they've since that nine of the feet, have they taken the third most points? I think of teams in the Premier League. Certainly unbeaten, you know, since since then. Do, do you think it makes it Scott Parker look a little bit ridiculous with his comments? Or do you think that that reset may well have happened anyway? Is Scott Parker in danger of maybe being seen as the problem? Because both these clubs, since he's left, and albeit at Bournemouth, it's a very short sample size of time, seem to have got better. I've got lots of Fulham fans that have said that the minute he left Fulham, they it, it just got better. That The vibe and the energy around the club got better. Um, and they were better off without him. And I just wonder if if he's not careful, unintentionally, he may position himself as the problem in a really weird way in at, at, at clubs. I don't know. Well, you're bringing it all back to the fact that you, you can't really put Gary O'Neill's post-match or Marco Silva's post-match to the streets. And, and because of that, the vibe that Scott Parker eventually gives off is just this really depressing, dry your eyes, mate, regardless of whatever's happened. And he just can't get away from that. Um, the, the penalty that Mitrovic uh, won from Jefferson Lerma was another one of these. Sort of, oh, we West Ham didn't get one this week. They did get one last week. This kind of grappling in the box that was a... Felt like really a big thing about four years ago, and then we all forgot about it, and now we're remembering about it. Yeah, well, I thought that was a penalty. I also thought Bournemouth um, should have had two penalties that they didn't get. Uh, both, I think, a Tim Ream handball and a Tim Ream uh, pullback on Ryan Fredericks. And I was surprised they were given, but overall, I, I thought draw was probably fair. I was. Bournemouth's, uh, I'm not sure if anyone else knows this, but Bournemouth's f- opener, um, they, where they just cut through the Phil- Fulham defence, Tavernier, Billing and Solanke, uh, it was straight out of the Man City playbook, you know, the pullback and then the sweep home first touch. So I was quite impressed with that. Uh, Wolves beat Nottingham Forest 1-0 in the build-up to this defeat. Um, uh, Forest's official Twitter account posted a mock-up picture of striker Emmanuel Dennis sat on the pitch at the city ground with three wolf cubs calmly sat with him with the caption playtime. The post was subsequently deleted but not before Ruben Nevis had forwarded it to the Wolves squad. Wilson, I don't quite see how this should really motivate the squad any more than being paid like a horrendously large amount of money to do your job, to be motivated to be a footballer. Like, you can't be like, I'm not that asked about this game, but now I've seen Emmanuel Dennis with some wolf cubs. I really fucking want it. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, 
I'm just an old man. I don't understand any of this social media nonsense. Like, I mean, if Emmanuel Dennis has taken, I don't know how long I would take. Photographers always seem to take ages to do what seems like quite a basic task to me. But say I took half an hour of his day, 15 minutes maybe, if they'd set up all the lighting and everything first. Like, wouldn't he have been better just practicing penalties for 15 minutes? I, I just don't... I don't get. I don't think they got. I don't think they got actual wolf cubs, did they? I think they just got a photo. Well, they got actual wolves in for Diego Costa's uh, presentation, and he was terrified. He had to pose for the photo, didn't he? But I guess so. Yeah, I don't. And then wolves responded after the final whistle with a picture of a tree stump and an axe in it. Yeah, (laughs) and I actually thought an axe was probably a bit too far, like some secateurs. With some gentle yeah. pruning might have been enough. It didn't really feel like they completely tore Forrest apart, did they? Sort of like some some very old tree with like Dutch elm disease or something, just <laughs> just sort of slowly fading with with a slightly weak man sort of leaning on it, just just nudging it the last little bit. Uh, Southampton one, West Ham one. Andy says, does Barry know what to make of Ralph Hasenhutl? Yeah, I can't have that conversation again. I mean, the, fun, the most fun part of this game, Barry. My, my takeout from this game... Yeah is be afraid, West Ham fans, be very afraid. Because as a Republic of Ireland fan, I have seen Declan Rice kiss the crest, kiss the badge before. (laughs) (laughs) And we all know how that ended up. So, yeah, a good point for West Ham. They should have won. They were robbed, I think. But, yeah, Declan Rice will be on his way in jig time. Probably January, because he's, he's... Giving it the badge. Oh, that that hurt. <laughs> that that brought up some horrible memories. <laughs> Did you think they'll be robbed because the referee, was it Peter Banks, was in the way of Jared Bowen for Southampton's goal? Yeah, he, he was clearly in the way. Now, I thought the laws of the game were the ref is part of the pitch. That, you know, that's how we understand it. So if, if he gets in the way or the ball hits him or he blocks a shot, that's just tough. Uh, an unfortunate, but um, I think Danny Murphy or Martin Keown, a match of the day, seem to suggest that getting in the way, he's entitled to stop the game and have a drop ball or whatever. No, I think, but, but he did. He clearly got in the way. Yeah, but I think, I think, and this is, I wrote a column about pundits not knowing the laws of the game. So hopefully, <laughs> we should know the laws of the game. But you're allowed to say you don't know. I think letter of the law: if it touches you, you have to stop the play, um, unless. There was a moment, I think, in Liverpool City where it hit the ref and it went straight to it was it went where it was going. It might not have been in that game, but like so the ref can play on there. But because it didn't touch him, he didn't have to stop the play. But it did it, it you know, I could see why David Moyes was annoyed. But look, the referee has to be somewhere. It's, it's it's really unlucky. And then for it to get deflected and go in, the ref's got to be annoyed. Go, oh, sh- oh no, I've got to give this goal. I don't know, Jordan, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I tend to think more than side of where Barry's coming from, just kind of get on with it, really. I, I understood it as if it touches the referee, it's to his discretion whether he stops play, does a bounce bounce ball or he carry on. That's how I understood it. So, But again, I, I don't know the rule there, so I'm not going to pretend to your column that I do know that mm. particular rule. And, you know, it's it's a drop ball, not a... What's a bounce ball? This isn't a basketball. <laughs> oh, it's a bounce ball. What are you even doing here? It's ridiculous. Um, uh, Skamaka looks like a brilliant player. I, I I thought, you know, he had one shot from about 70 yards that whistled wide and he just looks like like a lot of fun. Um, uh, finally, Leicester nil... 
uh, Crystal Palace nil. Uh, Brendan Rodgers said, you can see the players are running and fighting. They ran themselves into the ground today. It was a hot day as well for them, but they pressed the game. They kept fighting. So he didn't really say it was sweltering, did he? But but uh, it was 16 degrees in Leicester. Um, that game, it wasn't a it wasn't a good game of football. Barry, you stopped halfway through to clean your bathroom. Yeah, I watched the first half and it wasn't doing it for me. So I went and cleaned my bathroom for the second half. It didn't take me like four, 45 minutes to clean my bathroom, but I had other domestic chores to attend to. But this is the real problem of the Winter World Cup, isn't it? That, that we have now have a ludicrous spectacle of people being forced to play football in Leicester in October <laughs> when they should be playing in December and January. <laughs> Do we, what do you think? Uh, do, you, do you think uh, Brendan Rodgers will turn it around? Do you think he'll have the time to turn it around? Leicester's owner looked pretty fed up. It's a question that slightly directs you down an avenue that I think is not useful. I don't think time is okay. really the issue. I think the owners are absolutely desperate for him to turn it around because they don't have to pay him off. Um, so I, I, I think Rodgers would have quite happily negotiated a settlement earlier in this season, and the owners are sort of forcing him to stay on so he'll get the time he just doesn't have the inclination to turn <laughs> so, things around so a bit like christian fuchs who i'm sure they held against his will for about four years <laughs> yeah. brendan rogers now just being held against his will at leicester but but i mean the problem is that the yeah morale is clearly pretty low and and, and maybe that point that, that rogers made about them them running and working maybe, maybe that is the beginning of that sort of bottoming out and, and coming out the other side but when they've lost um fafana they've got all their I mean, has Ryan Bertrand ever played a game for Leicester? He's just always injured. I mean, he's a Southampton uh, player in my mind, so thank you for letting me know. <laughs> Pereira's still injured. Um, yeah, they, they just have these... I mean, Johnny Evans was out again, wasn't he, with injuries? They have these perennial injuries which at the back which don't help. Um, and the but, players coming in, they're not good enough. They're, yeah. They're... I mean, well, Vardy kind of clearly is now behind um, Pat and Dacca in the in the pecking order and he's, he's starting to show his age so I, I just think there's sort of been this sort of you know a number of things have come together at Leicester that that this I mean there's two or three pretty poor teams in the Premier League they might be able to clamber above but they, they maybe the World Cup can be a reset for them it's interesting you say that I tweeted after the Leicester uh, Palace game that one interesting thing about this Premier League season is there aren't any really notable standout terrible teams and Leicester fans, Forest fans, Southampton fans and Villa fans all got in touch with me to say, well, hang on a second. No, there really are some really terrible teams this season. What about Wolves? Uh, Wolves, not, a, not, not, not. They were all asleep. They were just so bored. Nuno might be back, so that'll wake them up. Real Madrid beat Barcelona 3-1 in El Clasico. Uh, Barca's first league defeat of the season. Real go top, so a bit of a issue for Barcelona because they look likely to drop out of the Champions League. Um, PSG beat Marseille 1-0. Mbappe set up Neymar and then said he never said he was unhappy. So it's one to watch, isn't it? Uh, James says, I'd love some reflection on the four red cards, six goals, missed penalty and overall chaos at Bramall Lane this weekend, please, folks. We're going to do an EFL special tomorrow. uh, So we'll keep our powder dry on that. Um, Craig says, surely you have to mention this guy. Um, uh, this is a tweet from Fearless in Devotion, the Wrexham podcast. I wanted to know more about this Blythe fan, John the Toaster. Niall Bromley gave me some context. There is a, a Blythe fan called John the Toaster who goes to games with a toaster on his head and he plugs it in at random bars at away games and makes people toast. So he's John the Toaster. <laughs> Good for him. 
Ben says, what is this on Streatham Common? My son just hit it playing Paul Scholes, which is a game where you hit a tree from distance, all based on the Ronaldo quote. I saw this and it is a bollard on Streatham Common that says, on this spot, on the 12th of May, 2004, Jonathan Wilson inverted his first pyramid. Hashtag the long throw trail. Wilson. Yeah, somebody forwarded me a photo of this uh, a few months ago. I don't, I don't understand what it is. Um, it's like a blue plaque for you. Yeah, but, but I mean, I, my understanding was you needed to be dead to get a blue plaque, and um, I certainly feel mm. moderately alive. Yeah. So maybe, maybe people think because you keep doing the same Ronaldo column, it's like Weekend at Bernie's, <laughs> and they're just pretending we're all, we're all we're pretending you're alive, and actually these are just we've just cut and paste some other podcasts from, from you. Um, what what's the Stresham connection? Oh, I don't know. So, you, so you didn't? No, no part of inverting the pyramid was written in Streatham. No. All right. Okay. Well, I'm not even been... sure I've ever been to Streatham. Oh. Well, you should feel incredibly honoured. I'm slightly jealous. <laughs> well, I mean, because I, I, I think it's it's sort of, is it a like it's a walking route? I think isn't it this long long throw trail? And there's other sort of spoof blue plaques on that trail. But who put them up or when or why? I, I have no idea. I'm going to have to go and inspect. Because yeah. until now, Stresham was my least favourite of my local comedy. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's just. It's just one sticker on a bollard, <laughs> Barry. I mean, it's not going to make a huge difference. I think. Like, if you want to suggest what the blue plaques could be for the rest of the pod, Football Weekly at the Guardian dot com um, uh, and uh, uh, come to the live show for Barry's favourite commons um, says producer Joel uh, yeah there is a live show um, I'll tweet about it uh, I think there are a few tickets still available at Earth in Hackney uh, theguardian.com slash guardian live me Ellis James Lars Siverton Barry special guests etc etc yes Jordan Sorry, if you'll allow me to um, uh, just go back to my pirate radio days and give a shout out to a, a loyal listener to the pod yes. who I bumped into uh, the Apple store last week who said, he said to me, I'm a huge fan and because I'm incredibly arrogant, I'm going to assume he was talking about me, <laughs> not so much the pod, right. but um, he said he loves the pod um, and I want to give him a shout out because he said he, he loves the pod. So that's my... Did, did you get his name? I didn't, I didn't, but it was a lovely young man white six foot okay with an now you're now you sound like a newsreader who says please avoid this person you know he was wearing a gray hoodie and he should not be approached on any account um but and he was listening to the pod while he committed the crime um well you've done your shout out so that is great you didn't do it in a very pirate radio way i mean i was expecting it sort of needs to be a bit more shouty jordan I don't want to go to what? Brixton on it because I think this is not the forum for that oh, really? sort of tone. Oh, 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 but, um, you know. yeah. I don't think you suggesting he should have done it with a dagger between his teeth <laughs> while climbing some webbing. <laughs> no, it's just my my knowledge of pirate radio is when you're driving along and you're listening to the radio, and then another radio station comes in and people just shout very quickly and it's very noisy, <laughs> and I want them to go away. A bit like in the old days when the travel news from local radio used to come in. Does that still happen? You're driving along and then the travel news comes in from local radio? Because when I was at local radio, I had control of that button. And we used to just press the button and tell people to listen to our radio show. Or we'd press the button and yell, look out. And I got, I almost got, I didn't realise that this is illegal. That was a very bad thing to do. Uh, 
<laughs> so my apologies, but you know, that's how zany I was on BBC Radio Cambridge. Yeah? Uh, look, that'll do for today's podcast. Uh, thank you, Jordan. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Wilson. Cheers, thank you. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Max. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grobe. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. EFL Pod tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 